Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Dale Brumfield, who is an adjunct English professor and the author of seven books, his last two, Richmond Independent Press and Independent Press in D.C. and Virginia, an underground history, were both nominated for Library of Virginia Literary Awards in nonfiction. Dale Brumfield is a weekly history columnist for the Stanton News Leader and is a frequent contributor to Richmond Magazine, Style Weekly, and North of the James Magazine. His work has also appeared in the Richmond Free Press, Richmond Times-Dispatch, and USA Today. And his next book, A History of the Virginia Penitentiary, will be published in the fall of 2017. He has a website at dalebrumfield.net. Dale, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Great, great to be here, David. Thank you for having me. Uh, great to have you on. I've seen your work before. I think we've been in touch before, but I was struck by this column you had in the Richmond Times-Dispatch about capital punishment, state murder in Virginia. I, I think the timely part of this was that there are new new standards for secrecy in how you kill someone in a, in a prison in Virginia. What is, what is that all about? Yes, what has happened is, since the state, like many other states, have switched to lethal injection, the pharmacies that provide the needed drugs, which are three drugs that they use in a sequence uh, in lethal injection processes, the pharmacies that provide these drugs are getting wise to states like Virginia, and they're saying, you can't, you can't have these anymore. You're using them to kill people. You know, our mission statement is to save lives not to end lives. So when the pharmacy started denying the drug, uh, Virginia initio- uh, initiated a new protocol in which they would get the needed drugs from secret compounding pharmacies. Uh, we have no idea who they are, and we have no idea what is in the drug. Uh, we don't know if it's the drugs that are supposed to be or if they've got rat poison in them. It's, it's, there's absolutely no reason... Uh, no way we, we can know. So this secrecy that was initiated, uh, not just in the drugs and the pharmacies, but in the process. Uh, there was some trouble with the last execution in Virginia with Ricky Gray. Um, and so the state has decided to not let the witnesses view the insertion of the IVs, because apparently that was a problem with Ricky Gray. And so now the curtain is not open to the witnesses until after the criminal is uh, strapped down to the gurney and IVs are already inserted. Uh, my point was this legacy of secrecy actually harkens back to the late 1800s in Virginia when secrecy was initiated to stop various celebrations going on at hangings and to remove mostly black tradition and influence from the process. So that was the whole point of the entire uh, commentary. It, it seems like pharmacies or drug companies or sellers of, of drugs and medicine uh, generally have to rank pretty high up on the on the list of, of evil entities in the general uh, popular conception. But here, you know, the, the state of Virginia is doing something uh, that, that's beyond the pale for these for these corporations. Um, I mean, that ought to that ought to say something. Uh, uh, about the morality of the of the state of Virginia. 
Yes, it, it does in a way. It's like it, it appears that Virginia is just so dead set on executing that they're willing to bend over backwards and submit to these uh, behind-the-scenes uh, and underhanded things to keep this process going. Uh, now, you know, as I stated in my editorial, uh, Virginia received $340 worth of a drug called virtionium bromide, uh, which is one of the three drugs in the cocktail given in the lethal injection process. And uh, it, when Cardinal, Cardinal Health sold it to Virginia, but then um, X-Gen Pharmaceuticals, who was actually the manufacturer of the drug, found out about Cardinal Health sale. Uh, they were very concerned about that. They said, well, hold on, you know, and so I'm, I'm not sure what X-Gen's uh, take on, you know, more supplies of this drug is. They may cut Virginia off entirely. Uh, I don't know. So they were very surprised. Uh, that this drug was used. So just add them to another long list of pharmacy companies who have suddenly said, no, you can't have these drugs. Yeah, we should be urging them in that direction and applauding them when they when they do right. Absolutely, and, absolutely, we should. And this this secrecy, uh, you know, just before we get to the history of the secrecy, there's actually requirements of of transparency now. You say that are that are violated by uh, by the current procedure. That's correct. These. Um, these protocols, the American Bar Association has come out with a document in which they take a very strong stand on transparency in the execution process. Uh, they're saying if you're going to execute people, they, they don't take a stand necessarily for or against the death penalty, but what they're saying is if you're going to execute someone, then you've got to be completely out in the open with it. We've got to see everything. We've got to know the drugs. We should know who compounded the drugs. We should know... We should see the entire process from when the prisoner walks into the chamber till the execution is carried out in full or until the execution is canceled, whichever the case may be. Yeah. So it's in direct defiance of what the American Bar Association is trying to establish. Uh, so, you know, that's what's rather disturbing, that, that Virginia is, is moving in that direction, away from accepted uh, standardized procedures of what the legal community is saying yeah well most most of the the world and most of the u.s states are, are moving toward uh, uh the the abandonment of the death penalty that there, you know there is no accepted procedure for state murder in in most of the world right i mean that's the trend that that virginia is bucking right that, that is absolutely correct uh virginia and the, the, the few states in the united states left who have the death penalty uh, are actually keeping company with countries like China, North Korea, Yemen, and Syria. These are the other countries who still have the death penalty. You know, most of the civilized world has long abandoned it. Uh, I recently was on a flight back from South Africa, and a young woman from Great Britain was sitting beside me. And I was actually writing this commentary while I was on the plane, and we were, since we were packed in like sardines, she was looking at me. She goes, may I ask what you're working on? And I said, well, yeah, it's a piece about the death penalty. And she was just astonished. She said, you still have the death penalty in the United States? I said, well, we do in Virginia. And she said, you know, it's funny. In Great Britain, we look to the United States as such a progressive country. But then we find out you still do things like the death penalty. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so, you well, know, it's like people are astonished that we still are clinging to these 
British colonial laws of the 17th century almost. Well, some people are astonished. Some people are well aware and and despise the United States for it. Uh, and when I go join peace movement uh, uh, events in the United Kingdom, uh, they certainly do not look to the United States as a moral leader. Um, but I but I wonder how far popular opinion in the United States is behind the rest of the world. I've seen polls suggesting only a third of us here in Virginia uh, actually support the death penalty. Is, yeah, is that it's, right? it's eroding. That support is eroding, and it's a long, slow process. Uh, you know, when, when the government keeps doing it, people tend to be more accepting of it. And, and they say, well, you know, it's all part of law and order. You know, we have to have law and order. We needed, you know, needed the deterrent. But, you know, none of these, none of these excuses hold up under scrutiny. Uh, we haven't, to my knowledge, there has not been a death sentence handed out in a court in Virginia since around 2011. Yeah. So, you know, is it truly acting as a deterrent? Uh, I don't think so. Um, you know, you can't certainly use that. As any indication, uh, you can't bring up cost. We all know it costs far more. You know, no studies have been done in Virginia, but they've been done in other states. It costs far more to keep a prisoner on death row per year than it does in general population. Uh, so you can't use that argument. There literally are no rational arguments uh, that can uphold the death penalty. It's all based on emotion. Well, and only, only emotion drives vengeance. It doesn't drive law and order. Well, I'll, I'll, Dale Brumfield, I'll give you a rational argument. I won't say it's a moral one, uh, but they run so many people through the so-called justice system in Virginia, and they don't have time to give them their right to a trial or a jury. My goodness. So the, the death penalty is uh, a key part of endless plea bargains. You know, take this exactly. plea bargain, innocent, guilty, or somewhere in between, take this plea bargain and we won't kill you. I mean, isn't that what they keep it around for? Well, I, I, I think so. I, it's just a bargaining chip in that case. And I'm, and I'm sure, you know, make a deal with us and we'll spare you the death penalty. You know, and, and so deals are made. I think, you know, one of the Beltway snipers, uh, the young guy, uh, Malvo, Lee Boy Malvo, yeah. uh, took that. They said, you know, we won't kill you. Even though you were the trigger man, we won't kill you if you hand us John Allen Muhammad yeah. or something to that effect. The same way with Ricky Gray and his partner Dandridge who killed all these people in Richmond. You know, Dandridge got a better deal. You know, he was willing to strike a deal to avoid the death penalty, so he got life in prison, whereas Ricky Gray was the one who wound up getting killed right. uh, for those. So, yeah, you're right. It is kept. It seems like it's being kept around as a bargaining chip in that respect. Let's, let's talk about what was the focus of this column of yours, Dale Brumfield, in the Richmond Times-Dispatch. You, you said that the secrecy around the death penalty in Virginia started in 1879, I think, in response is, to, a, to a gallows ball. What, what was yeah. that? Well, it was in New Kent County. Now, back in the, just after the Civil War, uh, hangings were done in various localities around Virginia. Uh, executions were not centralized at that time. And what happened at New Kent Courthouse, they hung two young black men who had been accused of murder, 20 and 21 years of age. And what had happened was black people were back then were recognizing the injustice behind the criminal justice program in Virginia and knowing that, you know, most blacks, especially young black men who were being hung at that time, were probably innocent, 
or, or, or guilty of lesser crimes, uh, yet they were still being hung. So they saw that as a reason of rejoicing. They started having parties at hanging uh, to uh, welcome the, the young men into the promised land. You know, it wasn't to condemn their past crimes. It was to welcome them and, you know, show them look forward to going to heaven. And so they became a party. And in New Kent, that party reached a whole new level of extremity. And when they uh, had what they called a gallows ball, after they hung these two young men, a thousand people gathered in a tobacco barn, and they had a huge party that lasted all night. Uh, they even had a what they called a voodoo priestess uh, come in, and, uh, and she said that if you get some clothing from the recently deceased, you will live 90 years forever. And some of them ran out to the grave site and disturbed two resurrectionists who were actually digging the graves up to take them to the Medical College of Virginia for dissecting. Uh, and so, and yeah, it, just went, it, it just went, got crazy. And the General Assembly was mortified by this New Kent Gallows Ball, it was called. It was being reported nationwide. There were newspaper articles in Ohio uh, about this Gallows Ball. So the, the, literally two or three months after that, the General Assembly uh, in session said, no more. Okay, hangings are not going to be public anymore. We right. got to stop. We got to stop the partying. We got to stop these black people from coming and getting together and make turning this into a big party. So they passed a law that said that uh, hangings had to be uh, private. Now, all that meant was the hanging had to take place within an enclosure or in an area where people could not be so readily available to see it. Uh, so the law basically went nowhere because people could climb on top of the wall. If they built the wall, people would look over it. People gather on a hillside to watch. Uh, they, there were still hundreds of people would gather for these hangings. Yeah. Uh, so that's when they recognize, well, you know, this 1879 law is not really doing what we intended it to do. Okay, so uh, then in 1908, they put their foot down. And they said, you know, the General Assembly said, you know what, no more outdoor hangings. We're going to centralize all the executions in Virginia, in Richmond, in the basement of the penitentiary in Richmond. And at the last minute, they decided to switch from hanging to the electric chair. And now, instead of having you know, hangings in front of large groups of chanting, praying, and partying black people, people were going to be killed in an electric chair in front of six somber witnesses in a grim basement in a penitentiary. Yeah. So that was that was the big switch. That's when they finally put their foot down and said, this, this is part of the secrecy process. They were removing, you know, the party atmosphere. They didn't want all these people partying, chanting, praying, and having all this uh, frivolity. And a hanging, so they just put it in the basement. So that so the reason for the secrecy at that point, uh, early twentieth century, was to to avoid the embarrassment of of what the the public would do. Uh, the reason for the secrecy now, I assume, uh, is to avoid the embarrassment of what the state government is doing. Is that right? Exactly. They're they're worried that you know if if there's a mistake, if there's a problem, if you know if the condemned shows uh, pain, any of these things, is to cover all that up, to shield anyone from any type of culpability, uh, it, it seems like, in the process. Yeah. Uh, so my whole point was this shielding, this protecting, this secrecy, is just part of a long line of a very racist legacy. 
that we still persist in clinging to. And that's what I find so difficult to understand. What, what, uh, what are the statistics in terms of the racist slant of the use of the death penalty historically and, and then recently? Well, historically, it was overwhelmingly black. Um, of the first, I, I studied and researched the first 100 executions in the electric chair in Virginia from 1908 to 1921. And I found that of that 100, 99 were men, one was a woman, and I believe 86 of the 100 were black. So that's an 86 percent, uh, you know, that, that's, that's pretty out there. Uh, that's very extreme. Probably um, five times the, <laughs> the percent in the population, maybe. Five, five oh. times the percent of the population, probably at least, something like that. Um, now, today, since 1982, you know, there's a moratorium on the death penalty in Virginia from 1962 to 1982. Uh, there were concerns about the electric chair being an adequate form of capital punishment, and there were some other uh, 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 distinguishing characteristics then that caused many states to temporarily abandon the death penalty, but they brought it back. Uh, a couple of court cases in the late 70s brought it back. And then in 1982, Virginia resumed executions, and uh, it has been exactly 54 white executions and 54 black executions and four foreign nationals since 1982. So it is perfectly split down the middle uh, now. So some people may say may use that as an excuse to say, well, the death penalty is no longer racist because we're equally split between black and white. But the population but is not. But the population is not. You're exactly right. And even more importantly, in Virginia, a study has shown, and right now the group uh, escapes me, a study has shown that since 1982, if you kill someone, you are three times more likely to be sentenced to death if your victim is white. Yeah. So it's it's so, racism uh, if you look at the race of the victim. Yeah. It is it is it is racist toward the victim exactly. So uh, that's where we are still seriously falling down and that's where the racist legacy lies today. Whereas before it was who we were executing, now it's like it it, it pertains to the victims. Uh, Dale Brumfield, we in Virginia I think don't realize that many U.S. states have not killed anyone for many years, that it's, it's a handful of states really dominating this barbaric practice. And, and we sometimes think, oh, well, Texas is the worst. I think maybe in statistics uh, in recent years, Texas has, has killed the most. But, but Virginia, you say, has the all-time record. Is that true? Yes, that is absolutely true. Virginia started executing in 1608. Uh, one year after Jamestown was settled, a man named Thomas Kendall was shot by a firing squad for conspiring uh, against the English with the Spanish. Uh, so the first execution, we started doing it so much earlier here. Now, it's true, since 1976, Texas has executed over 500 people. Uh, that, by far, leads the nation since 1976. But if you go all the way back to the beginning, uh Virginia has executed 1,388 people since 1608, whereas Texas has executed about 1,290 people since they started executing in, in 1812. 
so, yeah, we started doing it about 200 years earlier. But we still have the lead. We still lead by about 90. So, you know, wow, what a record to have. Yeah, number one. <laughs> there's yeah, a, we're number one. There's a uh, there's a branch of this uh, organization called the Innocence Project uh, here at the University of Virginia at the law school in Charlottesville. Right. And they're they're having an event this week with I think five or six uh, speakers uh, who were all exonerated from. Uh, death row in Virginia. Um, and there's uh, many, many years ago, I was a reporter for a newspaper in Culpeper, and I wrote long articles about another one who's who's not among this group uh, named Earl Washington, who was oh, yeah. who was exonerated uh, from yeah. death row in Virginia. Uh, I mean, there does seem to be quite a problem with putting innocent and and often black and often poor and out offer often low IQ uh, individuals on death row, where if you kill them, it's a little late to say, I'm sorry. And and even the I'm sorry's for locking you up for decades uh, seem a little bit insufficient to me. Exactly. I have uh, worked with a couple of people, a couple of prisoners, spoken to them and interviewed them who were uh, set free by the work of the Innocence Project, including Thomas Hainsworth. Uh, Thomas was, uh, in 1983 or 84, was uh, a victim of, uh, he himself was a victim of victim misidentification. Five women incorrectly identified him as their rapist, Yeah, and it was not him. DNA exonerated him after he served in Nottoway Correctional for 27 years. Uh, and, you know, you have to credit Governor Al, um, I'm sorry, Governor Bob McDonald and Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli for working to get him out as quickly as possible after the DNA exonerated him. Uh, Earl, the Earl Washington case is fascinating because, you know, Mr. Washington uh, was seven days away from being executed yeah. when DNA exonerated him. Look how close we came. And that, uh, that exoneration had a very powerful effect on a man named Jerry Gibbons, who was Virginia's executioner at the time. Uh, Mr. Gibbons uh, was the executioner from 1982 until 1999 in Virginia, and I interviewed him for Richmond Magazine, and he said, you know, I could have never, he really could have never forgiven himself if he'd have executed Earl Washington. And he said that is one thing that turned him away from being the executioner and from the death penalty was the Earl Washington case. It was a close call that yeah. never should have happened. Although the prosecutors and police uh, and everyone involved in the court system and the public and the people who elected that Commonwealth's attorney in Culpeper, uh, for the most part, seem to have brushed it off and forgiven themselves quite easily. Uh, whereas if you just go and read the transcript of the trial and the testimony from the police, the idea that he was conceivably guilty uh, it just seems absurd. Uh, I, I mean, I think the idea was that he was a poor black man because the police testified openly in court that they fed him every bit of information. Uh, that they didn't ask right. him, what were you wearing? They held up a shirt in front of him and said, this was your shirt, wasn't it? And, and so on. You know, this, this is how they did. Right. The, the, I mean, it was a, sort of an open and blatant frame-up, uh, as far as I could tell. And, and, it's the, and unfortunately, um, and I, I, hate, I hate to bring this up publicly, but, you know, Mr. Washington is a very low IQ. And yes. he was coerced into a confession, and he was simply led to believe that he had actually committed these acts and done these things. Uh, when, in fact, he was 
clueless. I, I mean, I really feel sorry that this man was just so taken advantage of by these overzealous prosecutors, and we see that over and over. The Keith Harwell case, uh, Keith was in jail for 33 years uh, based on bite marks. Uh, he was prosecuted on bite marks in a rape and murder. Right. And they've since come back and said, you know, we can't, we can't use bite marks. They're not like fingerprints. You know, but he served 33 years uh, in a Virginia prison, uh, you know, based on, you know, uh, overzealous prosecution. And it, it happens so easily, especially when there's a rush to convict, there's a rush to find someone to pin the crime on. You know, hey, we got the guy. Let's let's take care of this. And of course, once the execution occurs, it's too late. All evidence is destroyed. It's as if, you know, by Virginia laws, as if the, the person never existed. So there's no way to come back and find out if that person was truly innocent or not. Yeah, incredible. Uh, people, I think you even mentioned in your column this scandal here in Charlottesville uh, of some of us trying to get rid of a statue of Robert E. Lee and the and the statewide outrage. Uh, but it's not the racism that put up these statues in the 1920s is is not entirely gone from conduct in the state of Virginia, is it? No, obviously it is not. Um, it, it, it's still happening, and I think everything surrounding the use of the death penalty in Virginia is a continuing that racist legacy. You know, forget the monuments. Look what's going on right here in, in criminal justice proceedings. Yeah. So, yes, you're exactly right. We, we have just a few minutes left. Um, have you been following at all what's been happening this week with the death penalty in, I believe it's Arkansas? Yes, I've been following that very closely. What, what an incredible situation. They were getting ready to execute, I think it was at eight, yeah, eight criminals, men. Yeah. eight men in ten days. Uh, and they were having to do it quick, hurry up and do it, because the expiration dates are about to run out on the drugs. Incredible. Yeah, that is literally why they're rushing these executions. Now they're trying to, uh, you know, give some PR balance to this by saying, "Well, these men have been on death row for ten years. They've exhausted everything. They've done this. They've done that." But you know, it's it's because the drugs. Once the expiration dates are out on the drugs, and they can't get any more. So this is what states are facing. You know, not only when these pharmacies, when these expiration dates run out, and these pharmacies stop providing them, you know, what are they going to do then? You know, you'd have to either end the death penalty or move. What do you do? Go back to the electric chair? You know, I mean, let's go back to, you know, medieval barbarism while we're at it. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what, what the future of it. I don't see a future for the death penalty. So because of, mainly because of this, so I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I certainly hope you're right, that they've convinced themselves that, so that the drugs are the humane way to murder people, and they're unable to get the drugs, and they can't go to a non-humane way to murder people other than in, during war, and, uh, uh, and they'll have to end it. Um, it well, and you, will, and you will talk to some people who say, why are we humanely putting these terrible criminals to death who did these terrible crimes? Uh, you know, I hear that argument a lot. You know, this, like Ricky Gray savagely murdered a family, including two little girls. Why are we humanely trying to put him to death when he did this? My answer to that is we have to show we are better than they are. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's we are the logic, if you that. can call it that, of, of revenge, yeah. is to seek I never, revenge. I never, denied, I never denied that Ricky Gray should die for his crimes. I do think he should die for his crimes. I don't think we have the moral authority to kill him. 
And Jerry Gibbons called it death in prison. You put someone in a concrete box for years, decades in some cases, <laughs> they have nothing to look forward to but dying. Well, you, pr- so you, you bring out a, a, a dramatic disagreement with me with three seconds left in the program. So we'll have to have okay. you back on uh, Dale Brumfield's uh, forthcoming book about the Virginia Penitentiary, maybe when it comes out. We'll, we'll have you back. Thanks for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.